this week we've got part two of last week's discussion the secret history of Darth Vader or in other words the 2017 comic book series titled Darth Vader they were a, they were a fun reread actually nice to get to see the origin of Vader's castle big inspiration for us it was nice to see the origin of it and see it on the page Welcome to episode 29 of Live from Vader's Castle. As always, I'm your host, Dan McRae, and I'm joined by my co-host, John Lee. Hello, John. Hello there, Dan. How are we doing this fine evening? Yeah, not too bad. I seem to have picked up the, the common cold that everyone seems to have this month. Oh, yeah. But See, I had it last week, and now you've got it this week. Yeah. Uh, apart from that, I'm, I'm all good. Just a bit croaky. Yeah, isn't, I haven't passed it on. Because we geographically, I don't think that's possible for me to pass it on to John uh, before anyone thinks <laughs> thinks that that's the case. <laughs> but yeah, I had it this week. He's last week. He's got it this week. Just going around. Yeah, living living the dream with my husky voice. Yeah, right. And um, this week we've got part two of um, of last week's discussion. So last week we started discussing the secret history of Darth Vader, or in other words, um, the 2017 comic book series titled Darth Vader, written by Charles Soule, with art by Giuseppe Camancioli. In that episode, we talked about volume one and volume two, so the first 12 issues, I believe. Um, So if you haven't listened to that episode yet, go and check it out first, because what we're going to be talking about now is volumes three and four, which is issues 13 through to 25, including the annual that came out around about that time as well. Um, so that's what we'll be discussing this week um, following last week's enjoyable discussion. Yeah, last week was a very enjoyable discussion. Um, it's just, just just nice to get to talk about more like excellent Darth Vader stuff. Uh, I mean, so there's a pop favorite, pop culture favorite character for obvious reasons and it's nice that we get to dive into more um, like multimedia for him outside just the films and TV shows. Yeah, I think as we said last week, this comic series does a brilliant job of really diving into Vader's character after Revenge of the Sith and really establishing himself as, you know, Darth Vader, Dark Lord of the Sith, as opposed to, you know, the fallen Jedi and really gives us a window into everything that was going on at this point in time, post-Order 66, with surviving Jedi, with um, Vader getting his new lightsaber, with the Inquisitors. And these following volumes of this story continues to dive even deeper into that, um, with the first volume focusing more on uh, the planet Mon Cala and what's going on there. And then the final volume diving into... Mustafar and the origins of Darth Vader's castle, which is obviously something that me and John hold dear to us, as you can tell by the title of this podcast. So it was enjoyable to give these issues a reread and I'm um, looking forward to discussing them today. Yeah, they were, they were a fun reread, actually. I mean, I enjoyed it just as much as I enjoyed uh, last week's episode. Yeah, and it was um, nice to get to see the origin of Vader's castle. I mean, as you mentioned, I just looked over to my 
my Lego latest castle over in the corner of my room. So yeah, obviously it's a big, big inspiration for us. It was nice to see the origin of it and see it on the page. Yeah, definitely. So should we should we dive straight in to the discussions? Let's go. So we're kicking it off with um when in then the trade paperbacks is volume three, which is called The Burning Seas. Um, and it starts off with issue number 13. Um, and I think there's a bit of a, it establishes that there's a bit of a time jump here from where we sort of left off in issue 12 to where we pick up in issue 13. Um, it's about a year after Order 66. And it sort of opens up with um, Vader having visions of him killing Obi-Wan on Mustafar. Um, but this time... Anakin is not Anakin. He's in the Vader suit, and obviously he he wins this time. And he he Obi Wan is the one left burning on the floor. Um, thought that was an interesting way to kick this one off. Clearly shows that he still uh, thinks about what happened on Mustafar, and I think more clearly sort of goes to represent. That I think he sees himself as stronger now, or like the superior to the sort of weak Anakin that was fighting on Mustafar that now he's this big, tough Darth Vader and he imagines that, I guess my interpretation is he is him imagining that if if everything went down again, he, he, he'd take the dub and Obi-Wan wouldn't stand a chance. Yeah, I, I completely agree with you. That it, was, it was a nice opener as I think volume one, issue one, it opens up with a scene from Revenge of the Sith and literally the volume... Uh, the first issue in this volume opens up with a with a scene from Revenge of the Sith, but uh, slightly slightly twisted into the uh, the way I think Anakin or Vader would imagine it. Yeah, going down now. So it's nice to see that the classic lines and the classic scenes from Revenge of the Sith, but in a twisted way. You know, obviously he had Obi Wan's speech still at the end, but before he manages to to finish his, you know, you're my brother, Anakin, I loved you. You know, it gets burned to a crisp from the, the lava on Mustafa. So it's nice to see that. And, um, but in a, a slightly different way, which is slightly surprising. I mean, if you literally just take the first panel off the page, you might think maybe we're having a flashback, but a couple panels in, you realise, oh, slightly different and uh, slightly more morbid than the first time. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, and then sort of this, this story then gets set up that Palpatine wants the empire to sort of extend its sort of control its influence they're currently i think he described it as they're currently seen as like a political body but he doesn't really want that like he he wants the empire to literally just be him and he wants to be the final say and something which is causing him a little bit of trouble is the planet moncala which is home of the mon calamari famous mon calamari is obviously uh admiral akbar from the original trilogy and also home to the quarren who are sort of the, the Squidward-looking um, Donnies who uh, popped up all over the place. And we know a lot about Moncala from the Clone Wars. Um, so Tarkin is currently floating above Moncala in his Star Destroyer, overseeing an operation where the Empire are trying to pressure the Mon Calamari into um, agreeing to essentially be dominated by the empire basically and king lee char who we also know from the clone wars doesn't want to sign this agreement because it's it's basically going to give all of moncala's sort of natural resources away to the empire is going to strip them bare and leave them um completely in poverty um says this common 
<laughs> theme of Star Wars of you know tra- there's a trade dispute going on basically we know from obviously the original trilogy that the Moncala the Moncalamari and Moncala as a planet has been quite troublesome for the Empire over the years they've always been a bit rebellious and a bit um, resistant to imperial rule because the empire the empire is always like we're here to protect you but the the mon calamari they have their own army they can protect themselves so there's a bit of tension here and and essentially the setting that vader's arriving to is this trade dispute which seems like it might be heading in a bit of a, a sticky situation were you were you glad to see i mean a lot of returning characters here obviously we've got Tarkin back playing a role king lee char um, Admiral Radus and Admiral Akbar are both involved as well. So, were you glad to see Moncala again and these 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 famous characters? Yeah, I think it was a, a a clever place for Charles Soule to take this story. Obviously, as you just said, like as you know from like the original trilogy um, and stuff, Moncala is like a you know some famous Moncalawaris. Um, you know, from time on this planet, you got Admiral Akbar uh, and uh, characters like that. So, it's nice to see just maybe how they got that rebellious spark in them. And I think this this story that we're here or Vader going to this planet um, and the actions that unfold in this issue and, and this volume, I think really, they tie in really well with like the original trilogy and like where we uh, find or how things like come to be in the original trilogy and how maybe like people off this planet are so keen and, like, and so high up in the rebellion. It's because they feel so strongly from the actions of this particular mm-hmm. volume. Yeah, yeah. And it also serves as like quite a nice sequel to that great Clone Wars arc, the Water Wars Clone Wars arc, where we see Lee Char become king initially. And obviously Anakin was a part of that as a Jedi. And it's I mean, I think I think it's in this issue that we actually see Vader having or maybe it's the next issue, but Vader has visions of like the past when Anakin was there on on Moncala fighting in this Clone Wars arc. So serves as a nice sequel to that and a nice prequel to, as John was saying, these characters and this planet that we know well in the original trilogy. Yeah, I mean, it was it has some nice little callbacks uh, with Vader. I think it is in the next issue, but yeah, it was cool to see him like, arrive um, and just see how he would react to like coming back to this planet. Like, would it be would even acknowledge the fact he's been there before and stuff like that. I thought it was really interesting um, in this issue and just about Vader's character and stuff. Yeah. So Vader arrives um, with three Inquisitors, I think. Um, and they're stopped by, I think he's Commander Akbar. I think that's his official title um, at this point, but he's obviously the Akbar we know. It's a trap, Akbar. Um and he's, I think he's Lee Char's head of security or something like that. And he's essentially like, you know, this is a, I need to understand why you're here. Um, and just as he's doing so, a ship which is carrying the trade ambassador who was negotiating with Lee Char and were having the disagreements, his ship takes off and blows up in the air. And um, that basically triggers Tarkin to say, right, we basically need to launch an attack on the planet. They've just murdered an Imperial ambassador. Um, And I think the issue ends with this sort of shot in a far, a panel sort of set in a faraway cave that we don't really know what it was um, with this cloaked figure um, 
who we know has been like secretly advising King Lee Char. Um, and he just realizes that Skywalker, he actually says Skywalker, he doesn't say Vader, he realizes Skywalker's arrived. And that that sort of ends this issue on a bit of a cliffhanger. Um, I think this is obviously the storyline as it progresses explains what happens here with the, the ambassador blowing up. But I think this is, you know, the inciting incident which sets off what becomes a pretty large battle in the following issues. Um, and, you know, Vader was essentially sent here for this reason to. A, get Lee Char to agree to the, sort of the Empire's rule of Moncala, but also because Palpatine suspected there could be a Jedi hidden somewhere on on Moncala. Um, so this sort of reveals that, yeah, there is a Jedi here and things are heading in <laughs> in that direction. Yeah, I mean, what I found quite interesting about this first issue is just how... Um like set on like negotiations and uh, a diplomatic solution Tarkin was obviously Tarkin as we know from like the original trilogy when we see Tarkin um, first appear you know he was the one that just blew up Alderaan on like a whim you know so like I was surprised to see him so set on negotiations here um, until obviously the the ambassador's ship gets blown up and then he's just like oh you know what let's just blow the shit out of him um, and yeah that final shot of a clue a uh, a hooded figure um, stating the name Skywalker. So I remember when I first read this, actually, I was like, oh, is this like Obi-Wan? But then I was like, that makes no sense. But yeah, I remember thinking little, something yeah. along those lines of who is this Jedi? Yeah, I was like, oh, is, is like Obi-Wan took a little detour to Mon Cala for like a holiday or something? I was like, oh, well, was a, it was an interesting little cliffhanger, I'm going to be honest. Like, as well. Doing some deep well sea cold. diving. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> See yeah, this but... this initial part is taking place on I think it's called Dak City, which is the part of Moncala which is above the water, whereas the majority of the planet is underwater. So that is why Vader very easily lands on this surface, um, as opposed to the rest of Moncala, which is very deep underwater. Yeah, I mean I don't know how waterproof Vader suit is. I can't imagine he'd uh, he'd do well as a deep sea diver. Um but you never know. I think we do kind of find out in the in the next issue, or is it the issue after that, that Vader's uh, suit does have an element of water tightness to it? I think it's the next issue. But yeah, like essentially right this, this first issue is just setting up the conflict to come. I think it establishes quite an interesting place for this story to go. I remember when I read it for the first time, I was surprised that this is where Charles Soule chose to take the story. But I think when you get to the end of the arc, you understand why he made this decision. Um, and it does take this story into some really interesting places. Um, so as always, I just, I have learned to not question anything that Charles Soule does when he's writing because it's always brilliant. Yeah. I mean, we tr- trust in soul. Um, in soul, we trust. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, we'll, we'll jump into the next issue because it essentially kicks off in the next issue. The Empire basically just launches like a full on ground assault. I say ground assault with inverted commas, really, because they just sort of land on any of the platforms that are above the sea that they can. And they start to attack Moncala. Um, they, I think the Inquisitors suspect that Lee Char might have fled under the sea. Um, but Vader because of the flashbacks that we were talking about back to the Clone Wars, he knows that Lee Char will stay 
in the palace because he's that sort of ruler. Um, and he's correct. Lee Charles just trying to like ev- evacuate his people um, all under the ocean um, so that they're safe. And then he obviously is trying to sort of negotiate some way for the fighting to stop, but him and Tarkin are not seeing eye to eye because the Mon Calamari are proud people who don't want to be controlled or protected, as the Empire call it, by the Empire. Um, I think one of the things I really like about this is just spending more time with King Lee Char. Um, obviously, I think he was he was Prince Lee Char, wasn't he, in the Clone Wars, and now he's King Lee Char. But I think he's a really interesting character. He's a really admirable character. He clearly cares a lot about Moncala, the Moncalamari, and the Quarren as well, because that was something big about him as well, about being able to unite the two species. Um, and I do think it's really interesting seeing him and Tarkin come, not quite face to face because it's over hollows, but them, you know, I think any, a, a lesser king might have just bowed to Tarkin's demands straight away in the face of all this sort of like attack and pressure from the Empire, but but not King Leechar. He wasn't having it. No, he was not. He was not having it. And yeah, I think that was really, I really like the scene with um, Vader knowing that King Lee Char isn't going to like give him because of the interactions they had back in the Clone Wars. And I like the little like um, shots from the Clone Wars era. Obviously, Anakin, Ahsoka and Padme in the little like scuba suits. And then you got um, Kit Fister, Jar Jar Binks are also there. So it was a nice little callback and just to show that. Yeah, I was going to say, I completely forgot Jar Jar was there until I saw that <laughs> panel. <laughs> yeah, it's just chilling in the background. And it's just nice to see that Vader still uses, you know, because a lot of people go on about how like Vader and Anakin are two different people. I was like, well, clearly they're not because Anakin, because Vader's like drawing upon, you know, past experiences as Anakin to, you know, work out a military tactic or to figure out where or what Charles king the king will be up to at this point so you know they're not completely separate people like vader will acknowledge these anakin when he needs when he needs the information and stuff yeah i think even though he <laughs> he doesn't like the fact that he remembers all this stuff i think in um in a lot of other sort of books and comics and stuff he he has a sort of um relationship where he like calls anakin like the jedi like he doesn't refer to him as like his past self he's just like the jedi um you know treats as if it's not a part of him but obviously we know that it is still a part of him um then i think this is where the uh this is where the the issue in the story took an interesting turn um for me was when we we jump over to this sort of little um I guess just a group of disciples, mini cult, not really sure what to call them, but we have Master Ferran Bar, who is a new character. Um, and him and his his disciples are in this cave and they're talking about Anakin Skywalker and Bar is showing them all this footage that, you know, confirms that like Anakin was a Jedi who betrayed the Jedi Order. He slaughtered all the younglings in the Jedi Temple. He he sort of led Order 66. Um and Basically, he vows to destroy Darth Vader or Anakin Skywalker for the betrayal of the Jedi Order. Um, this is definitely the moment where I was reading the comics and I was like, oh, this is good, this is good. And I was like, oh, okay, there's something else going on here. There's another Jedi. He's got some vendetta to settle against Anakin. And 
he's proving to people that Anakin and Vader are one and the same. Um, so yeah, I definitely thought this was a very, very interesting little turn in the story. Yeah. As soon as I read this, uh, these couple of pages with uh, this master bar, I was, there was something up for them. I couldn't quite put my finger on it, but just like rereading it like today, it's just like some of his like dialogue and language and stuff. is just like very strange, like coming from like a Jedi. <clears throat> And like, I think at points and stuff, he's like going on about how like the Sith and the Jedi are like abstract ideas, and you know they're they're like the past, and like he, him, and his disciples, as you mentioned, like the cult sort of thing, are like the future, and they're going to like change the way I don't know the forces studied or like whatever. So it's like he is a Jedi who seems to be very I don't know like twisted from like the actions. Of Order sixty six, and he, Lost he seems way. to be very, yeah. yeah, very, very bitter and and angry about it, and yeah, obviously is after vengeance against Anakin Skywalker, which is is not the Jedi way. Yeah, but and then I think you know there is a, the the part of him who vows to essentially you know bring down the Empire, and I think he he claims a lot that he has these visions of like the future of like the rebellion and that sort of thing, and you know whether these are accurate visions or not. I think a lot of it fuels him in the wrong way that, you know, the likes of, the likes of someone like Obi-Wan perhaps wouldn't, but I guess if every single person you've ever known and probably liked gets slaughtered overnight, you probably would be a bit angry. So I, I can understand where some of it's coming from, but he's definitely taken some of the anger the wrong way. And um, he's not quite the perfect Jedi that we would imagine to have encountered at this point in time. Yeah, I think it's interesting as well, like just after his conversation with his um, pupils, <coughs> he has um, a little chat with the king. And uh, I think even though the advice he's given to the king is obviously a bit un-Jedi-like, and it's just like, be the aggressor because the Empire are never going to leave, like the Empire are never going to show you mercy. So you've got like fire, 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 fire sort of thing, which is, and he like talks about how the visions and the force are like showing him these sort of things when it's probably just the fact that he wants vengeance and he's just like trying to lead the the king into a war that he thinks will like bring him justice sort of thing, which is not, again, mm. not very Jedi-like. It's not the Jedi way. Yeah, exactly. Um, so yeah, as you were saying, like he, he has this conversation with Lee Char and basically says like, you know, Radus is sent to the, the South Southern Hemisphere, Akbar sent to the Northern Hemisphere to like plan a defence and then like Lee Char just I don't know what he does is like he just like awakens some sea creatures that ended up flooding not just Dak City but just every overwater settlement on the whole of Moncala um which becomes very problematic a for Vader and the Inquisitors because they're caught in the rush of water and sort of swallowed under and then becomes problematic for Tarkin as well because the Empire is more built to ground assault um so there's no landing platforms for there anymore so he has to come up with some sort of new plan to to deal with this issue um but that's sort of the the cliffhanger that we're left on is vader and the inquisitors and king lichar are all sort of swallowed under this rush of water that lichar caused himself but on advice of master bar which suggests that there might be something going on here which is a little bit as you said, perhaps not wholly Jedi. Yeah. I mean, I thought the scene as well when, uh, I don't know what they are, like whales, I suppose, like 
gigantic whales because they look massive. Like, you know, like erupt out of the water and just basically like body slam the ocean to flood the city. And then as the floods come in, you have the inquisitors like trying to hold back the tsunami and they can't quite do it. And then Vader just comes in and he's just like, all right, I got this. And manages to help a little bit until obviously, you know, several trillion tons of water just <laughs> overlaps them and Vader's sent sinking to the bottom of the ocean. So, I mean, the force is, is strong, but a planet full of water, I think, is probably going to beat you on that one. Yeah, he's thinking back to like issue four or whenever it was when he held back the dam. Or was it actually issue three or whenever when he held back the dam and he was like, oh yeah, I've done this before. This is easy. And he's like, oh, nope. <laughs> it's a little bit more water now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, they put up a good effort, to be honest with, with them. Yeah, they tried. You know, they held they it back tried. for a little bit, but yeah, there's no, no hope. Yeah. So that, that sort of hangs off on, on issue number 15. And then we dive into issue uh, 16 when, um, no, sorry, that was issue 14. We're going on to issue 15. So I'm getting, I'm getting a, confused it um and this this bit was epic this is one of the these moments that got me thoroughly gassed and i'm sure john you had the same reaction we find vader sort of drowning deep underwater and his suit is slowly starting to like lose its integrity of like holding out the water and his oxygen tanks are depleting and you know he's on the edge of death and he uses the force to create like an air bubble um to keep himself from drowning and then he's attacked by a big squid and then he mind controls the squid and rides it <laughs> all the way to safety um, where the Inquisitors are in it. And they've sort of got their way into a ship, like an underwater ship sort of thing, and picks him up. Um, and they have a little line of like, sort of, I'm just gloating in the fact that they rescued him. And, and I think Vader has a comment. I can't remember what the exact line is. I'm not sure if you remember, but it's just like, there's never a need to rescue me or something like that. Um, I just thought it was a, Again, anything with Vader fighting large creatures in difficult circumstances, I enjoy. And I think this comic kicks off with another one of those great moments. Yeah, I mean, this the opening panels for this issue is, are fantastic. Yeah, you got Vader, I mean, not only creating an air bubble, but also like, I don't know, fighting against the, the pressure that he's currently under. I mean, I don't know how deep he is under the water, but the pressure under there must be like absolutely phenomenal. So he's fighting that with the force. And yeah, obviously, then the sea creature shows up, just like a giant squid. He mind controls a squid, even controls a squid enough to like sort of, I don't know, just a giant squid like puts him down, and even fetches his lightsaber for him. So it's like, oh, he's he's got this thing well trained already. Oh, yeah, um, I forgot about that. Yeah, he uses it to get the lightsaber back. <laughs> yeah, and then just like floats off on it. He's just like holding on to the squid, and the squid swims off. And then just as he's about to be rescued, he just like blows up the squid's head with the force and you're just alright mm. done with you yeah, see you later squid justice for the squid <laughs> yeah and then yeah as you say basically there's a bit of dialogue where they yeah, almost got gloating they saved Vader and Vader's like you're idiots so why didn't you go after the Jedi and yeah he's like I never need rescue sort of thing in like a triumphant like voice and yeah it kind of puts the Inquisitors in their place because Vader was the only one to realise that even though the, the Inquisitors knows the Jedi's location, um, he knows that the King King Char is obviously going to go and uh, tell the Jedi straight away that he's given away his location. Well, I think the other Inquisitors are kind of just riding on their on their gloat, uh, the gloating. You know, they were just like, "All right, we've done our job for now. Let's we're, we're winning, sort of thing." And Vader was the other one that's like, "Well, no, we need to go get the job done first. So Vader is mm. always 
on point. He's always on mission. Always, yeah. Um, and then sort of as the Empire are pressing this attack, they've sort of created these like sky platforms, which become like the staging points for their attacks. And there's this really cool little moment where I'm like, come on, Akbar, where um Commander Akbar and this his like squad take on this like whole sky base themselves. They're sort of getting attacked by ties and they're like ducking and diving and out of the water on these little like jet speeder things. But they blow up this entire sky base and it it certainly royally pisses off Tarkin. <laughs> um I just I'm a big fan of Admiral Akbar from the original trilogy. Just seeing him kicking some ass back in the good old days. It um it does bring a smile to my face, I must admit. Yeah, I mean, it's a pretty, pretty uh, badass scene from uh, Akbar. It's like they all erupt out with their little, I don't know, like jet ski things with wings. Um, and then, you know, they're dramatically diving back under the ocean as they're getting shot at. And then they come out just underneath the sky base to shoot it down with the, like metal torpedoes to like, get past the shields. And it's just like, oh, it's just this epic moment. It's like one of those. I'm sure if it was like in the cinema, it'd be like one of those epic scenes of like big dramatic music behind it as like the sky base comes crashing down and that while rides off victoriously. So oh, what a guy. <laughs> yeah, what a guy. Um so this then like after after that Akbar finds King Lee Char, who's like in a sort of tank because he's a bit unwell after the unfortunate incident with the flood. Um and Akbar wants to negotiate a truce, I think, but Lee Char's like, no, um, you know, they've they've come for us basically. Like we need sort of like bordering on we need revenge or we need to protect ourselves. Um, and then remembers that, you know, before the water plunged them all underground, like the Inquisitors was like torturing him for information of like where the Jedi was and realizes that he might have given away. Ferenbar's location so quickly gets gets hold of him and is like oh yeah like Vader's coming for you um and Tarkin as as I was saying he's getting more and more pissed off so he's ready to sort of escalate the invasion I think that the final panel is like the Imperial Star Destroyer is like turning to like closer towards Moncala and like I think it's just Tarkin saying like escalation like the end of a sentence um which obviously just I think this is what soul craft so well and it's like storyline it's just like every episode like each issue is escalating the story like the attack on Moncala is getting more and more intense like the pressure on Lee Char on Master um, Bar the pressure on Vader as well and on Tarkin is just all like ramping up and up and up um, and I definitely think comes comes to a bit of a head in the in the next two issues yeah definitely that's a really great point it's like as yeah the end of the last issue really does like it's a turning point in the storyline. I think about like the tension that's been building, and I think Charles Soule does a fantastic job of earning it. Like we, I don't think we've rushed it, and I think it flows quite well in the story. Uh, and then it pays off really well. The next two issues, as we're about to talk about, I'm sure. Um, so again, it just goes to show that Charles Soule just he crafts such a brilliant story with such interesting characters and great payoff. Yeah, and this is like quite a dense storyline here because like Vader's obviously the key player, but you know like Tarkin, um, King Leechar, Akbar, Radus, um, Master Bar. You know, there's a lot more characters on the table 
than just Vader. So it isn't one of these stories where it's like, we're just following Vader the whole time. We're jumping around POVs. So it is quite a dense storyline. Like I remember when I was sort of reading it this morning and taking my notes, I found myself writing like a lot of notes because there was actually like a lot going on. And I don't mean it as a criticism at all, but in comparison to some of the other Vader stories, where it was very much just following Vader on his journey. This one very much felt like an epic battle and an epic war where there's lots of different point of views conflicting with each other. And I think, yeah, as we were saying, it's just been crafted very, very well. Yeah, I mean, I think this next issue is one of my favourites, actually. Um, it just really, it, as you just said, this is a very dense story. I think this next issue adds even more to it, to just like adds in some really interesting uh, twists to some of the characters. Yeah. And I just think that it's, it's really, again, just like really well crafted and like, it, doesn't ta- it doesn't take a Away from the main story, it's all even it, like completely adds to it. Even though it could have, like a lesser writer would have really just this. The next, I think this next issue, the lesser writer could have just been swept away mm-hmm. and could have taken the story like in the completely like wrong direction or completely changed the whole pacing of the story. But mm-hmm. Charles Soule, I think, nails it beautifully. Yeah, yeah. So issue 16, as John was saying, is where things are really, really escalates. Barr and his disciples evacuate their little cave because of King Lee Charles' warning, but they're, uh, they're ambushed by Darth Vader. And, I mean, Vader basically one by one <laughs> kills off um, Barr's disciples, but each time they die, it includes like a little flashback showing how that particular disciple came to like follow along in Master Bar's crusade. Do you want to expand on this moment a little bit, John? I, I can sense you've got something interesting to say here. <laughs> yeah, just um, uh, first things like, yeah, the the little flashbacks, I think, tell so much of in like one page. Uh, so it's just literally one page for each flashback, but they give so much detail, I think, for how the, each character joins Vader's um, Bar's like, crusade. Just one one of the things I found really interesting about it is every time he has this conversation with this person, he's like recruiting. Uh, the, the artist has done such a clever job of Bar basically is just like in the same stance as like Obi-Wan when we see him in uh, A New Hope doing like a Jedi mind trick or like anytime like the Clone Wars we see him doing like a Jedi mind trick. So I think what the art is implying here is that these people are not technically willing like 100% on board with Bar's idea and he, maybe he is convincing them using the Jedi mind trick to be more on board than they really are because obviously what they're signing up for is to fight against the Empire when there's like six of them which is a bit of a suicide mission to be honest so it seems like he's recruiting people against their will to join his crusade just because he feels that strongly about it which as I've said three about, about three or four times in this you know so far it's just not the Jedi way. You know, it seems like his motivations and his actions are becoming more and more, uh, well, just like evil, to be honest, and like very selfish. Yeah, selfish, I think, is definitely the word for it, isn't it? Yeah. I think it's definitely one of these moments where like it's definitely open to interpretation of what's going on in these flashbacks. I think I agree with you. I think I read it that he finds people who are pissed off and angry and would have a reason to join a crusade against the empire, but uses sort of unfairly influences them using the force to make them give themselves to him even more. Um, 
I think that's sort of the interpretation that I read from it. Um, I'm sure Charles Sowell has come out since and said actually what the case is. And I, I think we are right on that. Um, but yeah, I think it is a, it's a good spot. And it's it's one of those moments where like, there's some interesting ones where like, um, I think one of them, Anakin, back in the Clone Wars, like saves one of them from a battle droid. Um, and later on, post the Clone Wars, when he sees Bar, he's like, oh, a Jedi saved me one day. And then I and and now I will follow you. And each of the flashbacks has that line in common of like I will follow you. Um, so yeah, I do think it's a really interesting little subtle use of like art and sort of dialogue to sort of suggest that there's more going on than the the page might suggest. I guess. Yeah, because I mean, I think if this was like written in a book, you'd have to specifically state which which. Uh, which way or the other is or obviously if it wasn't if he wasn't using the force to influence his people he just wouldn't mention it at all um and then if he was he'd have to write it in the on the page because you you know you can't you can't have that up in the air in a book while like in a comic yeah charles is being very clever with the art here and leaving it up to interpretation like there's other bits or parts in the story where it's quite clear that um bar's using like a jedi mind trick because there's like art that supports that well, I think, yeah, he's, he's been clever on this section and left it, yeah, up for interpretation, as you say. Yeah, yeah it's really cool. And uh, definitely, Barr and his little group of disciples are a relatively small splash in the grand story of Star Wars. But I do think this issue gives a really good job of giving him context and giving them a reason to be there and a reason to be a foil for Vader. So, yeah, it's really cool. But essentially, this issue, a lot happens, but not a lot happens at the same time. Vader and the, the Inquisitors just chop through most of Bar's disciples whilst they're sort of running away from them into this like underwater city. Um, Tarkin's getting more and more pissed off about how many resources like this like fighting is costing because like the Mongol Calamari are actually pretty good fighters. Um, Admiral Radis, for example, is like causing a particular trouble because he's flying around in like the Mongol Calamari fleet, which we see one of their ships in the original trilogy being the home one, which is obviously the, the big long um starship that Akbar pilots. Um but he's sort of like they're flying around in this fleet, causing a load of issue. So Tarkin gets a hold of Vader and he's like, right, do me a favor, go straight to Lee Char, find him and like get this whole thing resolved. And Vader's like, no, nah, no, nah, I want to hunt down this Jedi. Like we're nearly on him. And Tarkin's like, you know, Basically, we're here. The Palpatine wants us to get this done quickly. Do me a favour. And then Vader's like, yeah, okay, I, you owe me one though. And then Vader leaves the Inquisitors to deal with Bar, and then turns around off to find Lee Char. Um, which, obviously, the the thing with him and Tark, like Tarkin owing him a favour is an interesting thing that comes back in a couple of issues' time, which is really cool. Um, but I do think this was an interesting moment where like Vader was like so desperate just to kill more Jedi and Tarkin was like no no could you help me and he's like oh, fine like, if you have to stop me from killing Jedi it's like a little bit of an <laughs> interesting moment of like <laughs> Vader just being so desperate to kill Jedi that being doing anything otherwise it's just annoying for him yeah I really like Vader's line in that and Tarkin phones him up and is like oh can you do something for me and Vader's just like I don't answer to you and Tarkin's like, yeah, I know, but like, 
it's like this isn't an order it's like a request and he's like yeah if you do this I'll be like well, you, I owe you a favour and that's when like they just like oh fine you know a Vader from Tarkin is actually quite a, a useful thing I think in the uh, in the grand scheme of things and uh, you know Vader, Vader will get his chance to, to kill Jedi he knows that but how many more opportunities he's going to have in life to get a favour from Tarkin yeah, yeah exactly um, and this issue so this issue ends on only Master Bar and his disciple Verla being alive um, and sort of cornered in this room in the city and Bar sort of like confronts the Inquisitors and is like, right, I know all your names, like you're, you're all fallen Jedi and sort of names all of them. The the brother who's there, funnily enough, is Prosset Dibbs, who was a character in... Um, he was in the Mace Windu comic that I like read really recently, and I was just like, "Oh damn, that's the the Jedi in that comic who is now the brother." And there's a lot of story in that comic about sort of what goes on with that Jedi. So that was a little interesting moment. Um, but in but you know, quite smartly uses the fact that they're all fallen Jedi to get the clone troopers that they've come with to execute Order sixty six on them, and that's how the this this issue ends is with Master Bar saying execute Order sixty six to the clones, getting them to turn on the Inquisitors. I think this was just an epic moment. I was like, hell yeah, this is this is really really cool. I'm, I'm sure you you probably agreed. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was cool, and I liked. You know, it was a clever bit of it was a clever ploy from Master Bar, and it was uh it was cool to see the uh, clones in the, the armor that they were wearing. Actually, that's quite cool armor. And the the face paint I thought was quite cool, and uh, I think by an interesting point uh, how he made the he made the point that um, the clones that were there were like last of the production line, so they they weren't actually there during the purge because obviously that happened about about a year ago, as we said at the beginning. Um, so these these clones never actually executed Order sixty six. Like they they would have been back on Camino or something at that point. So these are fresh fresh clones off the batch, and he yeah, executes Order sixty six with what I'm assuming is like a co- combination with a Jedi mind trick because the art really makes a point of like focusing on his hand and like giving that like a like a, some I don't know like exaggeration lines coming off it. So I'm assuming yeah, that yeah. he's he's using some. Force trick there to emphasize the order 66 uh trick in the on the clones yeah no I, I now you say that it comes to my head i'm like yeah he it did focus on the way his hand was that's a that's another good spot um so yeah i mean and then and then we go into issue 17 where it picks literally right back up of him saying execute order 66 and all the clones turn on the inquisitors and all sorts of shooting. I believe I can't remember the number of the brother who's there, but the only bloke of the three inquisitors who is formerly Prosset Dibs, he dies. Um, Bar and Verla sort of like leap over the whole thing and, and escape. And um, this is an interesting moment with context. Bar turns to Verla and is like, right, you need to go. Um, we sort of reveal her background being that like she found out she was force sensitive. So she joined his crusade. So she never trained as a Jedi, but she's like a force sensitive who wants to train as a Jedi basically. And he says, Oh, you know, X, Y, and Z are probably still alive out there somewhere. Like try and find them and try and get training. Um, Which interestingly enough, we know she doesn't really because 
we do meet her in another Charles Soule comic set many years later. I won't spoil it for people who haven't read it, but she is a character who does return. Um, and Barr and her sort of go their separate ways. Um, and then <laughs> this, this bit made me laugh. I'm sure it made you laugh as well. When the sixth sister like injures the ninth sister as a way for like the ninth sister to escape. I just, I love this idea that the Inquisitors just fight amongst each other constantly, because I guess that's what anyone who is part of the dark side would do. But this was a particularly funny little moment. Yeah. I mean, I thought it was quite clever. Just cut, cut off her leg. So I was leave her behind so he can get away. You know, I, I don't blame him. Uh, I think if you're an Inquisitor, uh, I think that's all fair in game. You know, yeah, the uh, night sister has gone. a hard time of it, didn't she? When you think about it, yeah, Does she gets her hand cut off as well, doesn't she? Mark? Yeah, by um, Vader, and then is it Vader chops off her eye, like cuts out her eye? Then the sixth sister then chops her leg off, and then she's killed by Cal Kestis, obviously. So <laughs> she just has a tough time, didn't she? Yeah, poor girl. Yeah. A bit wrong side, that's why. <laughs> Shouldn't have betrayed the order. That's why. Exactly. That's what happens. Exactly. <laughs> um, so yeah, Bar is off on the hunt for Vader. And uh, meanwhile, Vader's captured Lee Char, who's refusing to surrender um, until Master Bar arrives. And uh, Vader and him engage in a duel. Um, so mean, meanwhile, whilst all this is happening... Tarkin is starting this like orbit, orbital bombardment of Mon Cala where he's basically just firing these big green lasers down and blowing everything up. So like billions of like Mon Calamari and Quarrens are dying. And then at this point, Lee Char clocks off. I think, how is it revealed when Lee Char sort of realises that Ferran Bar was the guy who blew up the ambassador to sort of engineer this entire conflict you might have a clearer memory than me uh yeah so basically um he's like while fighting Vader like gloating about how he'll be the reason like Palpatine's empire like crumbles and Vader's basically just like works it out and he's like you assassinated that imperial ambassador and while still gloating he like admits to it in front of um the king and the king's just like what the hell like you killed him and you've caused all this death you're meant to be a jedi um and that's when the king like basically sends a hollow to everyone and is like stop fighting like it's not worth it anymore give up uh and then he messages Tarkin and is like i surrender and Tarkin is like fair enough but we'll keep bombing you for now <laughs> yeah we'll continue to blow your your cities up why not? Yeah, no, that's it. It was, yeah, because there was a really cool moment when Vader and Bar were fighting and Vader makes a comment of like, I sense something inside of you, which like shouldn't be in a Jedi. And I think, is it pride that he says, like, I sense a lot of um, pride in the sense of like, he's, he's like, he's almost gloating in the fact that he is the one who gets to fight Darth Vader in this moment. And he thinks he's going to win. Um, I think I've got that right. Yeah, you have. <clears throat> so yeah, Vader like senses pride in him. Probably yeah, because he's proud. He's like fighting Vader, but I think um, it's he's like proud of the fact that he's like, orchestrated this whole plan to basically. Um, I wonder if he says it in this page. It's just basically like his he's, plan is to 
cause all this to then inspire the rebellion. Yeah. To, that's what he's had visions in, in the falls. Yeah. And he's told Lee Char that he had the visions that the modern calamari would have this grand role in the rebellion and in the bringing down the empire, um, which does in a way sort of end up being true, but he's essentially engineered this whole thing to like be the spark of rebellion, which obviously it doesn't end up being for a significant amount of time. So it's a bit of a twisted thing from Ferran Bar. And obviously we see the moment where he just sort of loses it and is just giggling away to himself, sort of almost like the Joker. Um, and how does Vader win the duel? Quite comfortably, I think. I don't think it's on panel, because I remember thinking this earlier. I think it's literally, so there's scenes of um, the Mon Calamari ships like leaving the planet um, over like Master Bar's speech and like, other people's speech. And then I think the panel just shows like Vader's like standing over his corpse. I don't think it actually yeah. shows like him winning. Yeah, no, I, yeah, wins. that's all come to me now because Radis and Akbar escape with like a group of the Mon Calamari fleet. And that obviously explains to us how Radis and Akbar become part of the rebellion um, and the resistance uh, later on in the timeline. And they sort of manage to get past Tarkin's blockade. And then there's that moment where I think, Ve- is it Vader who's saying like, like basically saying to the king, like, Moncala is no more like this is your like you're just part of the empire now and like essentially the empire's won they have control over the planet Ferenbar is dead um Leechar has you know got to bow to the empire Moncala's <laughs> been pretty badly destroyed it's it's a pretty sad day for the for the Moncalamari really yeah that's pretty much how it ends with just Vader <clears throat> pointing out the obvious victory of the empire um to a obviously defeated and probably pretty sad King King Lee. Yeah. Um, before we sort of you know wrap up talking about this little Mon Cala story and move on to the next, but I just wanted to hear your thoughts on Master Ferenbar as a character and how sort of Charles Soule wrote, wrote him, how he was used and sort of what his, like how he became a foil for Vader and sort of what his... <laughs> whether he was, in your opinion, an effective character. Uh, I, I really liked his character for like the purpose he served. I thought he was quite interested in being like a, a foil to Vader in this, in this episode. And we see like a, another like Jedi fall into the darker path, which is always interesting. Um, I wish, obviously, I think you'd have to put in like an, need like an extra issue or two for this, but I wish we had a bit more on like, his visions, like force visions and obviously what he saw in the future and how that affected his actions. And then a bit more maybe on how he discovered that Vader was Anakin. Cause I know he explains it a bit of like, he bought like holograms off like some dealer who got it off like the backup files from the Jedi temple and stuff. But I think maybe a bit more on that and just like the, when he actually figures it out and a bit more on the force vision and stuff would have, I think I would have liked that. <clears throat> to see that included in there, but I think for the for where he was in the story, and I, I think he was really good actually. And it was interesting that they put in a new character, uh, and to have a new character, I think fit in so well in so few pages and issues. I think Charles Hall did quite a good job actually. Yeah, it's definitely sort of tip of the iceberg stuff. Where I do want to see more from Bar, like his past and how 
because I, th- I think there are a lot of Jedi of that, that type. Like Grand Inquisitor was one of them who obviously fell completely to the dark side where like they've got a bit too much pride and a bit too much bra- you know, bravo about themselves of like how good and how strong they are and this sense of like entitlement of like we're going to save the galaxy and all this sort of stuff. And Barr was a really interesting version of that. And obviously he didn't end up being too difficult for Vader to deal with. But I think it was an interesting comparison between the two of like Vader who has completely fallen to the dark side and Bar who still argues that he fights for the light even though he's walking the dark path in the sense of like using people's lives as a as part of his game and letting people yeah, die I mean, for benefits. That's a good point. You've got the analogy there between yeah. Uh I mean that's a good point. It's a good an- analogy there between like <clears throat> how you got Vader who is a dark side Sith, you know, like fully dark side. And then you have Master uh, Bar who's, yeah, still thinks he's fighting for the light, even though he's cost millions of lives. But he, he makes a point of, you know, I've killed millions to inspire trillions and then saves however many more. Um, so it's interesting. It's like, do the, do the uh, ends ever justify the means sort of thing? And I think mm. obviously not, but yeah, it, it makes for a good story. Yeah, definitely. So no, I think that was a, uh... A really fascinating little journey to Mon Cal, and I do think it was a really interesting little storyline. That even though it did, like, it did some interesting stuff for Vader. I think it was, it was telling a lot more than just a Darth Vader story. These five issues, it was definitely telling a bit of a wider story about, you know, some origins of the rebellion, dealing more with surviving Jedi, and you know, dealing with the Empire and them sort of gaining control. So yeah, I enjoyed it. Big hats off to Charles Soule as always. Yeah, I think a very good, very good start into the second half of the uh, Vader storyline. Uh, yeah, hats off to Charles. Oh, would you say? So this this third volume doesn't quite end there. Um, they have a sort of an interesting little one off issue, which we John did discuss quite extensively in our in our Darth Vader's greatest hits. Um, episode, which again, if you need a reminding, is episode 12, if anyone hasn't seen it. So I don't want to spend too much time on it, but this is Vader calling in his favor for talk, uh, calling in his um, Tarkin favor, um, where he essentially wants Tarkin to hunt him down to test Vader's strength, essentially. So uh, Tarkin and a group of mercenaries hunt Vader down and there's interesting points of like, he has these Chadra fans who've got really good hearing so they can hear Vader's breaths. There's a moment where Vader cut, turns off his breathing mechanism, basically suffocating himself just to sneak up on them. And then there's a big moment, which John talked about quite a lot in that podcast I mentioned where Vader gets struck by lightning and still sort of manages to force choke Tarkin. Um, and it's sort of a nice little self-contained story of from Tarkin's perspective of like these absolute beasts that Vader is the way that Tarkin's had to like study him and sacrifice mercenaries to figure him out and eventually best him. But what he learned is he's ne- he, w- he will never truly best Vader because Vader will in, in Vader's head, he can never lose. Um, so it's sort of the issue ends with Tarkin being like, yeah, like I'm glad he's on our side pretty much. Um, I know that's a really like hurricane rush through that issue, but I know we did talk about it quite extensively before and there's like, many more issues to uh to talk about but is there anything specifically about issue 18 that you'd like to bring up yourself john uh no i think i think you covered it quite well then obviously we covered it together in, in uh the podcast you mentioned uh i think the only thing i'll add is just when i was reading it this time around 
it's just I think Tarkin makes some points about how Vader was just running out of things to do, like with the fact that he killed like all the Jedi in the area at the moment, and it was just like he was waiting for more news to come about Jedi stuff. So it was basically just a pastime for Vader, and was just to keep his skills up and just to see how strong he was. He was just like, yeah, try and kill me, bitch, and see how well you get on. Yeah, and it's so funny that Vader has this favour that he can call in from Tarkin and, and the, the favour that he calls in is like, try kill me. <laughs> and like, I mean, Tarkin nearly dies going through this whole ordeal. Obviously, Vader's not actually going to kill Tarkin because he knows how the Empire, the Emperor wants Tarkin about. But just, it's the sadistic nature of Vader, isn't it? It's just like, he's got this precious favour, which is probably worth millions of millions of credits and his way of spending of cashing in on that favor is just yeah try kill me see what happens <laughs> yeah i mean i think it just goes to show just how badass vader is and just uh just what he's willing to do just to prove a point yeah it's definitely a really cool little um self-contained issue so it's definitely worth a read if um if you haven't read it and there's some great artwork in there and some really interesting character designs and um cool epic vader moments as, as we briefly described um but we'll actually funny enough volume three of this um series doesn't even stop there it then has the the second darth vader annual but the first darth vader annual was part of the 2015 darth vader series a different series this is the only annual which came with this 2017 series um and it's I believe chronologically probably set after this Tarkin issue. Um, it makes sense to me that it would be set after, and that's probably why they put it at this part in the graphic novel. Um, I don't really want to dive into it too much um, because I want to sort of save the time we've got left to really dive into the Fader's Castle stuff. Um, what did you think of this this annual? I think when I actually reread like read the volume today that was actually the first time I'd read this annual because I must have missed it the first time around on unlimited um but it's a really interesting story about um project stardust the death star um geonosis galen erso and tying all those threads together quite nicely i'm i'm not i'm not sure what did you what do you think about it uh yeah i mean i think it was just it's nice to just see um these parts of the the story a bit more from so obviously, we see Vader in um, what's the film called Rogue One a little bit, and he does a little bit of stuff, you know, at the end to be really badass. But it's just just nice to see like where his story went from from like the other parts he was doing that relate to the Rogue One storyline and yeah, stuff like with Geonosis, me and Krennic, and yeah, yeah. I mean, I found I find anything um, with like Geonosis and like the creation of the Death Star and things like that. I find that all really interesting anyway. So I think it was, it was, it was nice to see Vader back on Geonosis, but the mm. last time he was there was in like the Clone Wars, which I think they allude to a few times and just <clears throat> like a few passing panels and stuff. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I thought it was really cool. We could see the, um, what's her name? Like Geonosian Queen again. I mean, yeah. and I think the last time we saw her was back in the Clone Wars with Anakin and Obi-Wan. So it was pretty cool to see that again and just like how differently they interact with each other now. Obviously Vader just basically just murks her as opposed to like back when uh, they met in the Clone Wars that to be a bit more diplomatic about it. Yeah, it was interesting because this was the only, this is the only part of this entire series which isn't written by Charles Soule. Um, this was written by Chuck Wendig 
who did the aftermath trilogy. He's a he's a really good writer, and I I did like this annual. I thought it was an interesting little story. Basically, Tarkin catches Vader on Scarif, like investigating Project Stardust, and is like, "Oh, you're not supposed to be here." Snitches on him to Palps. Really, Palps is like, "Right, you shouldn't be doing that. You should be listening to what Tarkin tells you." Oh, by the way, head over to Geonosis. They've got a problem with Project Stardust. Someone keeps on sabotaging it. He he meets Krennic, director Krennic, who is convinced it's Tarkin because the two of them are constantly beefing each other. Um, he visits Galen Erso's office and realises that, and for a moment I thought, are they alluding to the fact that it's Galen Erso? It's not. It's actually, he figures out because there's an egg in his office that it was actually a rogue group of Geonosians and this Geonosian queen slaughters them all. Um, and basically says like Tarkin says to Vader like you don't like this idea of the Death Star because you want to be the thing that everyone in the galaxy is scared of and once we finish Death Scar Death Star people will be more scared of it than you. And that clearly gets to Vader a little bit and Vader's like, you better watch yourself, buddy, because this Death Star might end up being your tomb one day, which obviously he's correct. That's where Tarkin <laughs> meets his demise. So I do think it's quite an interesting issue. And then it's kind of like a little scene at the end with Lyra, so Galen Erso's wife, sort of finding out what Project Stardust is. And I think that is where it ties into like Rogue One and why they're on the run and hiding. But I haven't ri- written, I haven't written, I haven't read the Catalyst novel, which ties all that together. But I like any connections to Rogue One. I think this is a cool little annual. Um, it's a little aside to the story, but I don't think that's really a problem. And it's a nice little inclusion, I think. Yeah. I mean, yeah, it's a nice little inclusion. Nice to, it's always nice to get more later. Uh, and I think it, tie, it, it ties in well with like, Rogue One in a bit more detail on that. So, yeah, I can't complain. Yeah, so that's that's actually where Volume 3, uh, The Burning Seas, that's where it wraps up. That's that whole volume. It's a bit of a chunkier volume, so it's definitely worth your money if you're wanting to get a hold of it. Some great stuff in there, with, uh, as, as we're talking about with Mon Caleb and um, Tarkin and all sorts of goodness. Um, so to wrap up our nice two-part series about the Darth Vader 2017 series, we will dive into Volume 4, which is called Fortress Vader. This is the moment we've been waiting for because it's in our name. We're big Vader's Castle fans. So this final volume, which is seven issues, covers the story of how Darth Vader's Castle ended up being on Mustafar and all the reasoning behind it. Before we dive in to these issues and really break down the story, um, when you do you remember reading this for the first time and, and clocking on to the fact that this was telling the story of Vader's castle. Did you find it interesting back then? And uh, what's your relationship to it now, now that we have a podcast <laughs> called Life from Vader's Castle? <laughs> uh, well, at the time of reading it, I think I, I, I thought it was really cool. Um, I think the the, the way Charles writes it and like makes it gives like the castle like a part in the plot. I mean, it could have literally just been like a like a castle made of designs and just like, yeah, that's all right, I'll live here. But the way he he works it into the plot and makes it like almost a character within the in the storyline, I think is really cool. I mean, uh, towards the end of it, there's some absolutely fantastic shots of like the force stuff, as you know, as we were talking about last time. So I think at the time I remember really appreciating it, appreciating it, and and now obviously because of life from Vader's castle, 
I mean, even, even more so. You know, you got got to love the Vader's castle where it came from. And you've even, got, as you said, you've even got a Lego set, so it means even more. <laughs> um, yeah, exactly. I mean, the, the castle sitting there in all its glory, in all its glory. <laughs> so this, as I said, the seven issues, and the first two are sort of a slightly set before the main story commences. Um, it, but it, it does tie in within its own way. So I think it is important to cover, but we might just speed run through it. Um, issue 19 and 20 basically tells this nice little story. Not really that nice when you think about it, but a little story of Vader coming across yet another surviving Jedi. But this time it's uh, former council member, Eth Koth, who uh, you may recognize as the Zabrak Jedi who was on the council in Phantom Menace for sure. I don't think he was on the council during the Clone Wars, um, but he's still alive. Him and his wife, I think, have had a little baby. And just as their baby is born, Vader kicks down the door and engages Koth in a duel whilst the Inquisitors chase after the mother and the baby. Um, it's quite a sad moment where the, the Inquisitor lets the mother go, but then at the last moment, like force pulls the baby out of her and out of the ship that they're escaping in. Um, and as the Inquisitor returns to the bit, like shows the baby to Vader, it's enough for Ethkov to be distracted so that Vader can quite easily kill him. Obviously Vader sort of gloating in the sense of like, you've, you've like let like love and emotion and all that stuff sort of like take control of you, which is ironic coming from Vader, but he likes a little bit of irony, I guess. Um, and they return this baby back to Coruscant for Project Harvester. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, story continues on from there, but just this initial um, another fallen Jedi dealing with that and then sort of kidnapping four sensitive children. What Have you got any points to, to add to this? Anything that particularly stood out for you is, is interesting here? Uh, I think it's literally just like the absolute savagery of uh, Vader and the Inquisitors here. I mean, literally stealing a child out of, out of the, her mother's arms uh, to take it to Palpatine, do God knows what, and then just uh, Vader using the opportunity of um, the dad being upset about his daughter being kidnapped or child being kidnapped to then murder him where he stands. I think it's just, it shows the absolute brutality of uh, the Inquisitors and Vader. And then what I also liked is when they got back to Coruscant and like Vader wouldn't even like hold the baby. He's just like holding it in the air with the force. Like <laughs> he doesn't even want to touch it. Yeah. When I first saw that panel, I thought like Vader was like throwing him up and down in his hand, like a ball, like a bouncy ball. <laughs> and then I was like, wait, no, he's not. He's just refusing to carry it. <laughs> but yeah. yeah, I thought it was a bit strange. Just like holding it in the air with the force, but it's like, fair enough. Yeah, and then there's another sort of funny moment after that with Inquisitor. Grand Inquisitor speaks to Vader and he's like, look, we've killed so many Jedi now. There's not really that many left. And of the ones that we don't know, we that we don't think are dead yet, they've all gone really deep into hiding. And at the moment we have no information, so we're just going to have to wait patiently. And <laughs> Vader just looks really pissed off at the idea that there's no more Jedi for him to kill. So he does go and have another one of his little Force meditations. Um and whilst that's happening, the Inquisitors are celebrating the fact that they've killed another Jedi um, until Vader interrupts them 
holding his red lightsaber in his hand, looking quite pissed off. And that's sort of the cliffhanger of issue 19. Um, I mean, again, I just, anything that is just showing that Vader is just so hungry for killing Jedi and essentially that he's just getting pissed off that he's running out of ones that he can kill, I think is pretty brilliant. Um, so I do think this is an interesting little first issue. I do think it, it's really sad, like poor old Heath Cough, like he just wanted to be a priest on another planet and have a family and he, he wasn't allowed to because of the evil Darth Vader. Um, so yeah, interesting issue. Um, did you enjoy it as well? Yeah, it was a, an interesting opening to the storyline. I think it flows quite well into like as the story progresses, which I think is 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 obviously it as we've come to expect from Charles Soule, like he never never puts in anything that's not worth the time reading. Mm. Uh, yeah. So yeah. That's good. Yeah. And then that flows straight into uh, issue twenty where Vader clocks onto the fact that um these two inquisitors have become like emotionally attached to one another. And he sees that one of the Inquisitors like let the mother escape and he basically just chases them across Coruscant a little bit like the attack attack of the clones Coruscant speeder chase and um, murders them both. Um in a pretty brutal way. They think that they've beat him because he's dropped off of a speeder from height. And then he <laughs> he uses the force to make them kill each other with lightsabers. He, you know, sort of a bit of a Romeo and Juliet moment of where they he's star-crossed lovers I guess these inquisitors who have got a little bit too attached end up having to kill each other when they think that they've bested Vader um this was certainly a moment that I was like damn Vader you are a savage straight after the last issue so um I imagine you had a similar reaction yeah I mean it's very I think I find about Vader the more you like we see him a lot other more years and stuff is that he's very I don't know, like almost like dramatic in the way he does things. Like nothing is ever just simple. It's always like theatrical and like the way he goes about things, you know, it's like, it's just like, you know, you can, I think there's been people saying on Twitter and stuff in certain scenes and like Rogue One, like I think at the end scene in Rogue One, there's no reason for his cape to be flowing in the wind. So like, he's probably doing it at the force or like, you know, stuff like that. And the fact that he's like made these two star-crossed lovers like stab each other is just like, so unnecessary but then so like theatrical and dramatic at the same time it just seems to just fit the bill for what how vader seems to do things it's just never a half measure yeah he's a bit of a showman isn't he yeah showman that's that's the word i was looking for yeah he doesn't he he, he likes to make a little thing out of it doesn't he? he can't just can't just do it the easy way yeah but i mean we see that all the way back from a new hope with him sort of choking out the uh all the imperials in front of each other and making a big scene so it definitely ties to his character for sure. Yeah, I think it's like the little parts of Anakin selling him because Anakin was always one for like the dramatic, wasn't he? Or like he had to be when yeah. like he ever came and like saved Obi Wan, it had to be like a big, big thing. It was never just a oh showing up, you know, like in the season seven of the Clone Wars when like he shows <laughs> up and like pretends to surrender and it's like oh, there's always like a big scene about it, isn't it? It's never just yeah. all right, show up and do your job. Exactly. See two in the same person. Exactly. Um. So this, this issue ends with a conversation between Palp and um, Vader. Basically, Palp's a bit pissed off that Vader's just destroyed half the city to kill a couple of Inquisitors. So Palp's like, could you just take the Inquisitors to another planet because they're just causing too much trouble here? Um, and But he's also proud of Vader for killing Eithkoff, so gives him a, a present. And 
what is that present, John? I've, this bit really threw, threw me off the first time I read it. Yeah, I mean, it threw me off as well. And the present is, I can only assume, is Queen Amidala's Naboo Starfighter or Star Cruiser. Very well. <laughs> yeah, which is a strange present, I will say. You know, like, here's your dead wife's ship. Um, yeah, so as you were saying, it is his dead wife's ship that Palpatine gives him, which is a little bit uh, messed up, I guess. But I think Palpatine is trying to manipulate Vader some way through this. So it's definitely an interesting gift. Surprised me when I saw it. Um, And on seeing it, Vader basically turns around to Palpatine. He's like, I want my own world. Like, give me one. And then Palp's a bit like, oh, you could have Naboo. Like, I know it means quite a bit to you and it's my personal home world. Like, I'll give it to you, or you could have Tatooine. And Vader's like, no, I want Mustafar. Um, and that's sort of the, the cliffhanger at the end of issue 20, which leads on to the next five issues, which are about Mustafar and Vader's castle. Um, I love the idea that Vader wants to wants Mustafar to be the world, which is his. Um, I think it's pretty twisted, considering how things ended there. So I do think that's a really cool little moment. Yeah, I mean, I I really like the point in this conversation when um, uh, what's it? Palpatine basically is just like, oh, can you go to Alderaan and do this for me? Um, which a good point. I've just literally realised as well as that Palpatine sends Vader to Alderaan to go talk to Bail Organa. Which I mean, Vader at that point then turns around and goes no, and Palpatine like kind of just the whole panel is just him like looking at Vader like, what the fuck did you just say? And then goes no, but then I've just realised that if Vader had gone and seen Bail Organa, then that would probably would have fucked up everything up because that's exactly where Leia is. And I've only just got that connection. Mm-hmm. Um, I just thought yeah. the panel was funny. Um, yeah, just made Bail, <laughs> Yeah, and Bail literally f- was the founding father pretty much of the entire rebellion. So if he had gone there and probably ended up killing Bail Organa, well, there's probably no rebellion. So it's an interesting turn of events there. Yeah, Vader being selfish and wanting his world there and then. Is basically just caused their own destruction. A cascading like, turn of events. I was going to say, yeah, it's one of those moments where just like you either turn left or right and it's just the, the cascading events afterwards. <laughs> yeah. Well, I've literally only put two and two together there. Yeah, just because Vader wants his own planet. <laughs> um. So yeah, so as we dive into issue 21, Vader is heading to Mustafar in Padme's ship, which I still think is weird. Um, with a couple of like imperial architects who are asking him the question of like why Mustafar, um, to which Vader crash lands the ship, uh, like directly on the surface, going through the atmosphere with no shields, so that the ship burns to like blackened ash. Um, <laughs> this moment really like baffled me i mean i can understand what it was like trying to say in the sense of like vader was trying to get rid of that perfect ship and that reminder of like padme and stuff but it was just the fact that he was just like yep taking the plunge we're gonna probably half burn to death but it'll be worth it for the for the band say (laughs) yeah i mean that's quite an interesting thing actually i think it's you could go right quite deep into it and be like it's vader representing the you know, like hate and turmoil, or like the loss he suffered by basically just burning the ship to a crisp. Um, 
as it reminds me of Padme sort of thing. But yeah, I thought, and I like the little line from the architect that sent with him. And she's like, well, at least we know what his aesthetic is now. And it's just like, oh, made, me, made me laugh a bit. Yeah, and I think it's also, yeah, I mean, as you were saying, it's a significant ship because it was, it was, I mean, it was like the last place that Anakin saw Padme was like standing outside that ship where he believes that he killed her, like in, according to like Palpatine's telling of what happened. Like Vader will think that it was just outside that ship was where he like killed Padme. Um, so I guess it brings up a lot of stuff for him. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it clearly does. So I'm not surprised that he purposely decided to turn the shields off and just burn it to a crisp. I feel like he made a point as well, like to the woman, um, the architect with him, he's like, oh, there's going to be pain, which I feel like, you know, as we know from um, like the way Vader designed his or never bothered to fix his suit properly and stuff, he's like, he lives off pain, you know, makes him stronger and he, he, he feels like he deserves it at times and things. So it's probably... Part of the reason he also deactivated the shields is to be like, as you just said, you know, the last place he saw that last time he saw that ship was when he choked out Padme, and like from his point of view or from from his thoughts, you know, killed her. So it's probably just like a self punishment sort of thing, um, as well as just to destroy the ship and ruin it. Yeah, um, and we do get the art in like sort of there's like a flashback. For, um, you know, present day past of like a couple of days before, but like before Vader goes on the mission of like the architects are wondering why Mustafar Palpatine is also wondering why Mustafar. Um, Vader explains that like Mustafar has this like dark side. I think he describes it as a locus, um, which is where which is where he uh, bled his lightsaber all the way back in issue five, um, and he thinks that might be the key to like more power in the dark side and. I think Palp then clocks on to like, all oh, right, this is to do with Padme, isn't it? Um, and he's like, yeah, I approve. Like, I think his words are like, the more power you have, the more power I have, something along those lines. So as a, as another little gift, he gives him Momin's mask, um, which is an ancient Sith relic, which belongs to a Sith. He wasn't even described as a Sith Sith. I think it was a Sith heretic is how he was described. Um, famous for his abilities in creation. Um Moments mask chronolog like in, in terms of release date order we had we had seen before that um but chronologically it happened in the future with Charles Soule's Lando comic where Lando comes across Moments mask as well um so this was that was when um Charles Soule came up with the idea of Moments mask and this is where it appeared chronologically before but later on in his in his writing career um a nice little inclusion here um and I mean to wrap up this issue, Vader's sort of meditating in the cave and is interrupted by the architect, who's made what he describes as the wrong design for the castle. Um, but she's then killed on the ship by the other architect who has Moment's mask on his head. And um Vader slays the, the guy wearing Moment's mask, but it reveals the design that the Moment mask wearing architect was working on, which is the design that we recognize as today's uh, live, uh, as today's live from Vader's castle. <laughs> no, not that one as today's Vader's castle. So clearly this is um, setting up that Momin and his mask has something very significant to do with the creation of Vader's castle, which I thought was a really interesting change in direction of, from where I thought the story was going to go. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's quite an interesting addition actually. And, um, 
I really like the little backstory we get from Palpatine. Well, not really a little backstory because he doesn't really go into much detail. But just the Vader, you know, he's telling Vader about the mask and Vader just says to him, um, oh, how would you know this? And like, I, I didn't find this in any of the Sith or Jedi holocrons. And Palpatine's answer is just like, the mask told me. And it's just like, well, that's very intriguing. And you haven't really said a lot there, but you've you've piqued my interest. Um, I thought that was quite interesting. And obviously then explains in the next few issues how... Palpatine probably came about finding out about the mask and stuff, but at that time it was quite a little cliffhanger and a little uh, a little breadcrumb for for future things to come. Yeah, I enjoy anything that's sort of like deep, dark, sidey Sith, ancient Sith lore and stuff like that. So getting this stuff about Lord Moment, I thought was particularly interesting. And I mean, issue twenty two, the, the following one, fully just goes on to, goes into like Moment's entire life story basically um like vader speaks with a mask and momin basically tells his entire life story do you uh do you want to do you want to cover the 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 life and death of lord momin yeah i mean it's it's quite an interesting sith actually he, he um he's it starts off with like the fact that he's obsessed with like arts and creating things and but the things he seems to create is things that make people uh very scared uh, and just as I seems to be obsessed with like death and creating that sort of stuff so the people on his planet basically are like you're bloody mental let's lock you up and put you away somewhere uh, and he sits there staring for a bit until some Sith uh, woman called Shah I think her name is comes in like um, rescues him or yeah, frees Lady him Shah from, the Sith yeah and she basically teaches him the trains him in the dark side until as all Siths do good Siths the apprentice killed his master um, classic Sith move <laughs> yeah pretty standard um, he makes an interesting point though I think is like he never bothers to call himself a master or like he's because he always thinks you know you should always be learning and like always there's the force is always ready to teach you new things so he never refers himself as a master but he's like yeah. an apprentice to the force yeah but yeah, I think he, he's yeah, saying he's, I would he's never. He was like, I'd never call myself a master, but then I'd never call myself an apprentice either. So that was his his anger with Lady Shah and like why he killed her was that I think he thought she was too arrogant, but also why why are you the boss of me, basically? Yeah, and then <clears throat> basically just goes on to create this. I don't even know how he does it. It's just basically like this big ship with I don't know what's in it, but like a a big like dark side weapon. Basically, just like fries this planet, and he he just like trying to create. He calls it art, basically, by like frying this planet. But it seems to be always doing is just like turn this planet into like Pompeii and just like yeah. burning the crisp out of it. Um, it was really messed up. Like the art piece was that the machine would destroy a planet, but then would freeze everyone on it in the moment that they saw their planet being destroyed. So like there would just be a just destroyed planet with like loads of frozen inhabitants with scared looks on their eyes, which was basically his idea of like this grand piece of twisted artwork. Yeah. It's a bit mental. I'd, I'd like to learn more about maybe how I made that ship. I don't know if it explains it very well. Off the yeah, top of my head. I'm trying to remember. Uh, yeah. Lord Moment's definitely someone who I'd like to come up again at some point, because I'm very intrigued by his weird obsession with art. <laughs> yeah. Um, 
But as as yeah. any good as any good Sith does, he eventually met his end <laughs> via a Jedi or a pair of Jedi, I think it was, who killed him. But the mask lived on. Yeah, so as you say, two Jedi show up and interfere his plans and they destroy him and then two and then yeah, the mask lives on and basically it seems like straight away it just the Jedi lifts it up with the force and it the the eyes light up, implying the um you know, the the, the fact that the mask is like sentient in a way or like that spirit in it. Uh, and then it we cut back to Vader who's on his knees like putting on the mask and as soon as the mask activates with the spirit inside, uh Vader like chucks it away and immediately realizes the danger of putting it on. Uh and he's he's not one to be corrupted by such such things. He's too smart for that. So instead he just kills an innocent Mustafarian and puts the mask on its head. <laughs> and yeah, then has and then has a conversation with Momen, um, who promises Vader that the castle will be a key to the to help him pierce the veil of time between light and death, um, which I thought was a very interesting um, concept. And see, I know what happens, but like when I read it the first time, I was like, "Wait, what's going on here?" And then it was slowly revealing that what Vader was after was some way that he could bring Padme back. Um, and Momin was going to help him do that by making this grand castle. Um, so to say that Vader's castle has significance in both the story and in Vader's character is probably an understatement. It's hugely significant. So I do think Charles Soule's decision to tie all of this together with you know the ancient Sith the castle, the dark side, the, you know, Vader's like desire to bring Padme back. I thought it was really, really genius writing. And um, yeah, it's very cool. Yeah. I mean, it's like I said, when we started at the beginning of this, this episode, it's, you know, the fact that Charles Sharp manages to, to weave in this architecture and this building into a part of the plot and like have it as such an impactful point. I think it was just, oh, it's just so clever and just, probably a reason why Vader's castle is obviously stuck out in our minds so much uh, since reading this, this, this first uh, origin story for it. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, in the following issue, um, there's quite a almost like comedic um, little part where Momin essentially just like cycles through loads of different designs for the castle, but like none of the designs work and, they can't successfully like pierce the veil or whatever it is that they're trying to do down in the sort of the sanctum below the castle. So it keeps on failing, but every time it fails, it causes this big sort of eruption of lava and lightning raining down from the sky. And it's starting to piss off the locals. Um, Momin basically commits to Vader that his ninth design ninth, he's tried a lot is going to be the one. And again, it is the one that we recognize is the one that ends up being the one that we know. Um, how and he builds it, and then at that exact moment that like Vader's about to test the um portal, the door at the bottom, the the Mustafarian people arrive and sort of start to fight back against Vader and try to destroy his castle. So he can't go through the door; he has to head outside to deal with these intruders. Um, and then this issue ends on the very haunting image of Momin managing to like it's not quite resurrect himself but it's sort of isn't it uh, i'm not sure what the description ever ever truly was for this but essentially 
give himself a proper body, which is the correct vessel for his spirit. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not really sure like, if it's like a proper resurrection or something because yeah, it's like a body comes out of the um, out of the portal thing, and it's like I suppose the design of it looks like a uh, moment um, and stuff, and he comes out with his lightsabers and in the suit that he we've seen him in that like, in the flashback and stuff, but. I don't think it's ever fully stated if that's like a, an actual resurrection or maybe just like a force, um, like I don't know, like a hologram body or something. Uh, I don't think it's actually ever fully stated, but I mean, it's, it's quite handy if you want to come back from the dead. I mean, it seemed that seems to work quite well. Obviously, until you come up against Vader, but yeah. it, it seemed to work quite well for him at the time. All you need to do is find a very specific dark side locus on a very specific planet, build a castle, <laughs> be strong enough, have someone strong enough in the dark side like Vader to slightly open the door, get an entire planet species to invade the castle, distract him, and then you can resurrect yourself. <laughs> quite straightforward. <laughs> yeah, quite straightforward. I mean, what more do you need? I mean, exactly. it seems, seems, seems easy. So in the penultimate issue of this entire series, issue 24, um, there's a really epic opening where Vader and the Imperial soldiers are fighting the, the Mustafarians. I think they're, they're called Mustafarians. Maybe I'm getting that wrong. Who knows? But I'm calling them that. Um, Vader's just being a beast, killing them all. And there's this moment where like all the Imperial, like all the stormtroopers start, like they chant like, for the M, it's like for Vader, for the Empire. Like it's not just like for the Empire, but it's like for Vader as well because they see him as like this incredible like war hero, basically because he's just like slaughtering the enemy in front of them. I just thought that was a that was a pretty cool moment. Yeah, I agree. Actually, I mean, I think yeah, it's definitely just because um, Vader. They're like losing the fight. And they they're willing to retreat, and then Vader comes out like a epic war hero. You know, like you'd see in like a a war film or something he's like there will be no retreat or whatever and then just goes out and slaughters all the enemies and yeah as you said that they're like rallying around vader um which is not something you'd really expect to see them <clears throat> the stormtroopers being like for vader yeah and like it's for Fro- it's like for frodo, for, frodo. for vader <laughs> and they go charging out into battle <laughs> um which works for a while until the mustafar people decide enough is enough so they they basically, in retaliation, like flood the entire plane that Vader's castle was built on with lava, killing literally everyone apart from Vader, who manages to to like create like a force bubble around himself and like leap out of the the lava, which is like piled on top of his head. I mean, if you don't need any more evidence that Darth Vader is a badass, <laughs> it's you know, I think he's proved himself at this point. Yeah, definitely. I mean, a very similar moment from the earlier issue when he was underwater, but this time, yeah, he's just like surrounded by lava and manages to to leap to safety. And then it's just like, right, I'm pissed off now. Let's go, let's go find um, the let's go find Mormon and sort him out because he's pissed me off. <laughs> yeah, and at that moment, you know, Vader heads into the castle, activates the. The, the shrine or whatever it is which causes a big explosion which kills off all the remaining intruders um but before vader can get the chance to sort of go into the portal um moment attacks him and the two of them have a have a duel um there's one thing i really want to pick out from this duel um it's what moment is like saying to vader well like moment is arguing that like the dark side doesn't serve you you serve the dark side 
And it's like the failing of the Sith is that they're constantly caught up in this like war between the Jedi and their obsession of like power when really they should be like serving the dark side as if, as if the dark side's like some higher power. Um, which I thought was really interesting because this is a completely different interpretation of like a Sith than anything we've ever seen before. Um, so I just thought that was a really interesting moment and, um, He's just sort of taunting Vader. I mean, obviously, you know, Vader kills him. But I just, I don't know, did you pick up on that bit as well? I thought it was particularly interesting. Yeah, I mean, it just, it kind of reminds me of like, um, obviously going back uh, and we're, we're reading um, like Martian Apprentice. It just reminded me of like some of the things Qui-Gon would say about like the light side of the force and like some, some Jedi would be like, oh, you know, we live to serve the force and like some of the, the fat, more fan favorite Jedi's always have that 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 way of thinking. Is very, I mean, it's very much in like the High Republic and and very much from like Qui Gon. It's like oh, like we serve the light side of the Force and whatever the will of the Force is, is like what we do. And it just seems to be like the exact same, but just like for the dark side. And Mormons, yeah, exactly. Like you know, we serve the Force. We are a servant. We don't serve it, which is how Palpatine like they did a few of the dark side is like a, a tool to be used. While as you say, Mormons more like we are tools of the dark side sort of thing. Yeah. That's just a really interesting interpretation. And I think is really cool and does definitely serve as like a, an interesting counterpoint to Vader's and Palpatine's philosophy. And yeah, I think you bring up a good point. He's sort of like the dark side version of Qui-Gon Jinn in that sense, um, which is awesome. Um, but then Vader swiftly kills him because that's what Vader does. And I think he does. It's the line of dialogue that he's like, I'm claiming my destiny or something like that before he enters the the portal, the veil, whatever it's called. Yeah, so my destiny is my own. Yeah, asset. Yeah, which is awesome. And then that takes us into the the grand finale issue. Um, I know that John, John, you're a particularly big fan of this, so I'm going to give you the honour of of telling the good people what goes on in this bonkers force thing. Yeah, well, I mean, uh, the the issue basically opens with Vader walking through the portal, which then takes us into some of my favourite art in all of comics, which is, as we were discussing in the last episode, Vader's like, I don't know, like force person and like his force, uh, how he's portrayed in the force, you know, with the swirling redness and then the blue where his arms and legs used to be, uh, which I think is such a, a clever way of just of showing exactly who Vader is. Um, and thankfully we get almost an entire issue of, of this, which I think is brilliant. So it's basically just Vader just walking through this land through the portal, <clears throat> which is very similar in design to how we see him in the other issues when he's in this force meditation, like he's got the same lightning going on in the background, uh, the same like force storm going on. The only difference is, is that when he's meditating, he seemed to be like out at sea. He's always, whenever he was meditating, he was like floating above like the ocean like a swirling ocean, but now he's walking through the portal. He's like found land, if you will. So like this portal's like, I don't know, like the salvation land in like the abyss of ocean that he's been currently meditating in. Um, so yeah, he basically just walks through here and there's an interesting, there's like captions with it. And I'm assuming what this is, is like the force talking to him or like trying to get his will across to him. Maybe, uh, and it just basically like it goes through like his life, like him being born without a father, 
I think I remember when this came out, a lot of people thought that the panels were implying that Palpatine like did it because it's like Palpatine like standing behind his mother as the dialogue yeah. talking about how he had no father and it was like an, an unnatural birth. Um, but I think what it more of what it is is like Vader, maybe this is like on the back of his mind or something like this is what he was worried about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I think I Charles think it's actually true. Yeah, yeah no, Charles Hall did confirm that, that that wasn't what that panel was saying. And that it was more like this is all like swirling dark side visions that he's been given and sort of um it, yeah, it, it wasn't specifically saying that Palpatine <laughs> used the force to <laughs> impregnate his mother, but it was more <laughs> just like a, a horrific vision that Vader sees alongside all these other visions of, as you were saying, like his childhood. Um there's moments where the dialogue is like from his future, but the image is from his past. So when you see some sort of, sort of stuff with like with um Obi-Wan and him and Padme and Ahsoka, some of the stuff is relating to the image, some of it is like far like lines of dialogue that Vader says in the future. There's even one moment where like the the the, the line that's written is like um what is it? Is it kill the um something what is it that Kylo Ren says? Um, it's like forget the past kill it if you have to Um, that bit comes up as well so it's all this like Vader is battling all these like visions of his past um, whilst sort of a lot of swirling force dialogue is like stuff that he will say in the future it's very complicated but very very visually (laughs) stunning yeah and what I realised about it is like as he goes because it obviously goes in as an adult and then it cuts to him as a child and you get the, it's like a callback to the epic, I'm assuming it was from a Phantom Menace uh, poster where it's like Anakin is a small boy and the shadow is Darth Vader, which is just one of like, the coolest yeah, movie yeah. posters like, ever. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then and then it goes back to him as like a small child, but he's walking um, through the void again. And so it's like the swirling mass is back the swelling silhouette is back and then as he's walking here you get the scenes Dan's just described um, and as he ages up it changes so like just after Attack of the Clones he's missing an arm uh, and then as it further goes on he, just, he misses like the rest of his limbs um, yeah there's cool scenes from like his past his present and his future um, and then he makes it at the end to the Jedi Temple which I think this scene here was really cool was like he gets to the Jedi Temple and there's like loads of Jedi there. There's like Ace Windu, Plo Koon, Yoda. Um, Yadel is there as well. Yadel is there. Baron Bar as well. Kirak and Fala. People from this comic series as well. Yeah. Yeah. And then they have like a, a, a fight, a lightsaber fight. And I think what I found really interesting in this panel, like these couple pages, is like how Anakin. Or how Vader fights in these panels is obviously without the limitations of his suit. He's like so much more, more energetic and like, well, it's only a drawing, but I can imagine so much faster. He's like flipping around everyone, like ducking and diving everywhere. And it's like, I can imagine this is what we would have seen if, um, you know, Anakin had just won straight out on Mustafa and like never got burnt to a crisp and put in that suit. Mm. It's, it's like common knowledge that the suit's like not perfect and Vader does as well as he does just because he's such a skilled fighter but without it it would have been like a hundred times better he's I fighting. think in this, these panels here is, is really good to show that 
Yeah, yeah, no, I completely agree. And he's also fighting with two lightsabers, isn't he, in this vision? Yeah, they're like two, like, I'm assuming they're lightsabers, but like dark side blades. Dark side blades, yeah. Yeah. And he uses it to kill Yoda, which is pretty sad. (laughs) Yeah, he just murks everyone. Murks everyone and then palps right at the end. Like, is it Palpatine and Obi-Wan having like this, like, force lightning battle or something (laughs) crazy like that? Yeah, it's Palps and Obi-Wan. I just have a little, like, um, scrap at the end of them with Palpatine, like, trying to fry Obi-Wan, which he manages to do in the end. Um, And then Anakin just comes in and just fries Palpatine with his own version of force lightning. It was just, like, red. And it's like really cool. He just sort of fries Palpatine and just like wanders off. <laughs> and then at the very end of all this turmoil, he bumps into Padme. Yeah, he bumps into Padme. And then, I don't know, like the force is like changed him back into like Anakin. So he looks just like Anakin back in the Revenge of the Sith, I suppose. And um, that sort of look. Um, and basically, he's like, please come with me, Padme. We can leave and like resurrect you and all that jazz. Uh, and she basically turns around with some Sith eyes and it's like Anakin Skywalker's dead. And then she leaps off the balcony. Yeah, he tries to save her, and she gets mm. fried by lightning. She's yeah, she's basically like, I don't know who you are. Like Anakin's dead. Um, and then yeah, she dies. And I think like I think one of the panels, like Padme's got her like hands around her throat as if she's getting choked, which is obviously mm. how Anakin Vader believe that he killed Padme. So it's sort of bringing that whole thing back and making him essentially like relive it. Again, yeah, and what I, I found, I just, the art, I found the art so clever on this is like they have the when Padme is like Anakin Skywalker is dead, like she has the Sith eyes, and like her text speech is like red and orange. And then, um, as Anakin, as she like throws herself off the edge, like Anakin's eyes turn red, and like his text speech is like orange. And so it's like they're telling you so much about like what's happening in like the internal character just through like the artwork and the dialogue options Mm. I think it's so clever yeah and as a result of all of that Anakin says no (laughs) a lot basically there's like all the bubbles around him saying like no 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 and he's just sort of Vader Anakin is in an immense amount of pain and the big the whole of the castle just like explodes in like a big sort of like blue lightning bolt thing and then it sort of we return to like the real world and Vader's just there outside, like in, in sort of like the shrine thing at the bottom at the foot of Vader's castle. And um he takes a little phone call with Palpatine and Palpatine's like, Are you alive? Yeah, I'm still alive. And then he asks, like, have you have you learned what you needed to learn? And then like the final panel is just like Vader walking out of his castle saying yes. Which talk about badass ways to end a twenty-five issue comic book series? I feel like this one really, really takes the top in on that. Yeah, definitely. I also want to make a quick point about that blue lightning as well. It comes out just before um, the end of this issue when Vader's still in like the void. I mean, it's definitely just like Luke Skywalker. Like, it's like a big blue flash, and like someone like appears out of it, like a silhouette appears out of it and like ignites a blue lightsaber and it's all very like it's literally just a silhouette you can't say anything but like it's just definitely Luke Skywalker wearing like I think it's the outfit you have in like Hoth not Hoth Cloud City and it's just like definitely Luke Skywalker and like so the force telling them like this is what's to come I reckon uh, yeah and then, yeah, yeah obviously it ends as you just described and it's very badass and I think 
I don't know. I mean, I'll ask you what your interpretation of the whole thing is after, but I think my interpretation of this whole finale and this whole sort of like force vision, wonder in the spirit world, whatever you want to call it, is this like, essentially is Vader, in a similar way that like Kylo Ren puts it, of like he is having to kill the past. He's coming to terms with the fact that even if he could bring Padme back, she wouldn't want to come back because of the person he's become and essentially him accepting that he isn't Anakin Skywalker anymore, accepting that he is, you know, darkness, that he is this evil twisted Sith Lord and him just finally coming to that final, final acceptance of who he really is. I think that's my interpretation of it. Uh, is, is your sort of similar? Yeah, no, I'd 100% agree. Uh, yeah, it's just like Vader accepting that he is a Sith Lord now and, you know, he can't, he has to just accept it. He can't turn back anymore. Yeah, he's gone. Uh, yeah, that's it, isn't it? He's gone past the point of return. And, you know, this, like, petty little attempt that he's had right here to try and reverse little bits of what's happened is unsuccessful because he's, yeah, he's too far gone. And I think, um, and as you pointed out with the blue light, I think that blue light references that the only thing that could possibly fix Vader is going to be Luke one day. And I think that just confirms to us and confirms to like the cosmic force, I guess, that Vader's done for essentially for the rest of his life until he encounters Luke at the right time. And no one, whether it's Obi-Wan, whether it's Ahsoka, whether it's anyone is going to be able to bring him back um, until Luke. So it's just essentially the cosmic waiting game of when Luke's going to solve that issue, which is obviously in Return of the Jedi, which I imagine is, I don't know, probably 15, 20 years after this um, after this vision that Vader goes through. So for the next couple of decades, he's a ruthless bastard. Yeah, 100%. I completely agree with everything just said that I think yeah it's definitely definitely the force's way of telling us and telling Vader like you know you are who you are now there's no going back you've made your choices and you are you are well set in your ways and there'll be no change in you obviously until yeah Luke appears like yeah 20 years later yeah so I think I think this is why so when me and John like wanted to talk about this it's like the the secret origins of of the secret history of Darth Vader, like this whole 25 issue sort of series really is like this origin story for like Darth Vader and the place that we see Darth Vader at, at the beginning of this series versus where we see him at the end of this series is significantly different. I think at the beginning, he doesn't really know who he is yet. He doesn't know what this new power is. He doesn't know where he is, where he stands, but by the end of this but you know, he he says it yes, like this his response to Palpatine of like, has he learned his lesson? Is like, yeah, like he knows what he needs to do and who he needs to be now. Um, so I just yeah, hats off to Charles Soul, Giuseppe Camancholi on the artworks, the artwork's phenomenal as well. It's a brilliant, brilliant story and over 25 issues, I think you learn so much more about Darth Vader than I think is obvious from the films. Yeah, hundred percent. I think this is I mean, I said it, I think when we started talking about it last week, first thing I said was this is an absolute fantastic work from both like the writer and the 
the artist and it's, it's so easy to tell when you read a comic book like how if like the combination of the two work really well and these these two i think were destined to write this this Darth Vader title because the combination of both of them obviously Charles Soule's writing and the, and the artwork I can't remember the guy's name I know he just said it but <laughs> it's just absolutely fantastic and they work so well off each other and you know it's easy for an artist to or, sorry a writer to sit there and write a good storyline you know Charles Soule's quite easy to do that but to get an artist that sits there and writes it so well and then is able to convey so much just in the artwork alone and add plots to the story or like add points story points into the story just through the art without any additional dialogue and things i think it's just uh, fantastic and all credit to everyone who worked on this because it's, it's such a good beta story yeah and i do i do genuinely think it stands out as among you know one of the best star wars star wars stories like ever like put to page to screen i think you know when i think of best you know star wars stories ever i think certainly when i bring comics into it i think this is the best star wars comic from start to finish um i think it's you know for me this is up there with you know the the original trilogy films you know some of the seasons of rebels and of um clone wars and some of the books the high republic books in particular that i love i think this will stand the test of time as one of the great Star Wars stories. Yeah, I 100% agree. I think in, uh, in years to come, this will be one of the ones you can look back on and be like, yeah, that's one of the best Star Wars like comics, stories, things to come out in, in, the, in a while. Yeah, for sure. And um, it's, yeah, I think I, I, I enjoy both the other Darth Vader series, but I think this is the best Darth Vader's ever been written um, in... in <clears throat> On, on paper i guess um obviously i love darth vader in the original trilogies you know that's the stuff i grew up on but you know i think it's just such a bold and interesting interpretation of vader and i think it's perfect to luke's original vision of vader and whilst giving it a new a new twist yeah so i think my my final point for this would just be uh in soul we trust you know a fantastic storyline fantastic book and you know if you want to know more about vader's story from you know obviously revenge of the sith to where we see him in a new hope i think um this is definitely one to read because you it's a it's a brilliant character development from vader from anakin skywalker becoming you know vader in title to vader in you know like name and then actually becoming darth vader the person the entity the, the most feared person in the galaxy um yeah. So I think definitely worth a read and definitely pick it up. Yeah, completely 100% agree. Um, I think we should probably wrap up there. This is, I reckon this might be our longest, <laughs> definitely our longest episode yet. Now I'm looking at the time. Um, so that just goes to show that you can't quickly talk about this comic because it's that good. So I hope you enjoyed this episode and last week's episode in this whole sort of two-part exploration of this um 2017 comic book series if this is something that you liked let us know because there's lots of other brilliant star wars comics out there that we could do episodes or multiple episodes diving into so if it's something that you've enjoyed and something that you're interested in do let us know i think this was a lot of fun for both of us because this is a series that we do particularly love ourselves so getting to discuss it on the podcast was a was a, a genuine pleasure so um i hope people have enjoyed it yeah completely agree it was a, it was a very fun time talking about these these four volumes of uh 
off Darth, Darth Vader. I just have to actually purchase them now, so I have them on my shelf. I've got they sit very proud on my shelf. I've got Gold Volume Two, but I need to buy the other three. So yeah, I'll be having to buy those soon just to have them on my shelf for my collection. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Right, so let's wrap the episode up there. Um, as I said, if you've enjoyed, make sure to follow, subscribe, stay tuned um, for our podcast on whatever app you use, whether that be Spotify, Apple, etc. So you don't miss an episode. We post every week. Um, follow us on Instagram at Live from Vader's Castle, Twitter at Vader's Castle Pod, TikTok at Live from Vader's Castle, YouTube Live from Vader's Castle. Get to us on all them social medias. We post stuff all over the place. And yeah, that's us, John. Yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. And we'll see you next week. Goodbye. Bye.